Welcome to another episode of Records Revisited, a podcast dedicated to the magic of music. I'm your DJ, your MC, the host on the East Coast. I am Ben Montgomery. Joining me is the man who's had good times, bad times. You know he's had his share. But when his woman left him home with a brown-eyed man, he didn't seem to care. Here's my co-host from the left coast, Wayne Fugate. Yeah, he can have that bitch. <laughs> uh, I was expecting you to go, uh, that's the Led Zeppelin song you chose to introduce me? Oh, Which... that's 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 a perfect one. Okay. I've definitely had some good times and some bad times. Haven't we both? All right, so the uh, premise of our podcast, fairly simple, we talk about music. And as we do at the beginning of each podcast, we ask the all-important question, what t-shirt are you wearing, Wayne? I am wearing a Christmas gift from my very best friend and biggest Led Zeppelin fan I know. It's the 1975 Led Zeppelin American Tour shirt. Perfect. Perfect for this discussion because... If you couldn't figure out from the intro, today we're going to talk about Led Zeppelin. And um, But first, I got to tell you what shirt I am wearing. I am wearing my latest addition to the t-shirt collection. I am wearing uh, Cracker. So I saw Cracker last night. Um, actually, I, I need to say I saw Cracker and Camper Van Beethoven last night. Oh, did you guys take the skinheads bowling? We did take the skinheads bowling. That was uh, that was a lot of fun. Um, you could tell that the, the 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 crowd was definitely there to 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 sing along. So um, there's something special about talking about taking the skinheads bowling. So that was a lot of fun. Um, gotta love a band that has a rock violinist in it. Um, so that that was really cool. Um, so David Lowry, who is the lead singer, of course, of Cracker and Camper Van Beethoven. So they did a set, um, for Camper Van Beethoven. The only similarities between the bands was, uh, the drummer and then the violinist. He actually came back out for Cracker, but he played the, the keyboards, um, instead of doing the violins. And, um, I guess he did some keyboards for Camper Van Beethoven as well. I do need to ask you this because I thought it was was very interesting. The, the the venue they had already booked a club night, and so the band had to be done by nine o'clock. <laughs> Ooh, curfew! There was a curfew, and so Camper Van Beethoven, as the the opening band, started at six twenty five. So doors were opened at six o'clock and they started at six twenty-five. Have you ever gone to a concert, not talking about festivals, but have you ever been to a concert where they started at six twenty-five? No, I wish. I'm almost fifty years old. I wish they would start at six twenty-five. Oh, it was I mean, it was perfect for me because <laughs> I was I was home for the second half of the Seahawks game, which um not a great ending for 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 our boys, but um, you know, I got to see a show, and I got to be home in time to watch the second half of football game. So, um, I will give some props to um, David Lowry. So, doors open at six. They took forever getting people into the club. You know, they went through the whole 
you know, scanning of tickets and doing the, the, the metal detector. So there were still people coming into the, the show at, at, you know, six 30. Well, I saw the set list. So I was right up in front. So I saw the set list for camper van Beethoven and, you know, one of camper van Beethoven's most popular songs is pictures of matchstick men. Yep. I'm sure. You're familiar with that, with that song. It was supposed to be the second song that they did in the set. And Lowry looked up and he saw that people were still ushering in. And so they played at least one or two other songs and then played Matchstick Man once there was uh, everybody inside. So um, I thought that was a pretty classy move on Lowry's part to, uh, you know, pay attention to the crowd still funneling into the venue. But I, anyways, I the the whole 625 start was just bizarre to me and i and i you, you know me I, lo- I love my autographs of of uh, of the band so i was able to get the the set list from from david lowry um since i was right up in front as he left i grabbed a set list that was on the uh on the floor met the guys afterwards got everybody to sign the set list it was pretty pretty cool talked to uh to to johnny the guitarist for for cracker and i kind of planted the seed i was like um you know, do you do do you do podcasts? So, anyways, I'm gonna I'm gonna continue to work on that. You go. You're the records revisited, pimp. Uh, I will I will try. I want to do more more uh, more uh, musician interviews, and we're we're uh, we're gonna be starting that here uh, next week. So, and um, just lastly on on uh, my whole cracker discussion. So, th- there's something special about a whole um, crowd singing at the top of their lungs, Euro trash girl. I don't know. There's something really magical about that. I can only imagine. <laughs> All right. So uh, for this episode, we are listening to the very first album from Led Zeppelin. And as you know, each ranking is assigned points based on the number of songs on the album. Today's record has nine songs. So, Wayne, how many points would your favorite song on the record receive? Nine. Nine. Do I, Do we really need to talk about background info on the band? I mean, I, I feel like everybody should at least have an understanding of who's who's in Zeppelin. Or, or am I just uh, assuming too much? I believe it should be taught in elementary school. <laughs> Let me just give a little bit of background then. So Led Zeppelin formed from the ashes of the Yardbirds. Jimmy Page, who is the guitarist of Led Zeppelin, naturally, was a late addition to the Yardbirds. I mean, that was shortly after old Slowhand, Eric Clapton, left the band. Originally, Jimmy was hired to be the bassist, but I think they realized quite early that he was a guitarist and a pretty fine guitarist at that. So Jimmy uh, actually continued to have the uh, the the Yardbirds name. I mean, actually, I I think he was contractually obligated to continue to use the Yardbirds because um, they still had some some shows somewhere in Europe to, yeah, to they, perform. They had a uh, they had a Scandinavian tour booked, and I, yeah, he was the only one left. Everybody else had broke off to do other projects or other things. And so he had to put a band together to fulfill the, that Scandinavian tour obligation. Yeah. So you've got uh, the band members, 
Jimmy Page, of course. Um, John Paul Jones, who is on bass. He also plays organ and provides some backing vocals. Um, John Bonham, of course, is the drummer, the front man, Robert, Robert Plant. So, um, and Robert would also play some harmonicas. Um, I don't recall if there's any harmonicas on this particular album, but, um, Oh yeah. What? Uh, one song. Yeah. Um, you shook me. Oh, that's right. That's right. Harmonica. So yeah. You know, what's amazing to me is that these four members stay together for, you know, depending on what you look at the time frame, uh, 11 to 12 years and getting them together to solidify the band, considering how nomadic each of the band members were with different bands prior to the formation of Led Zeppelin. It's, it's interesting to me that um, they would form and be together for those 11, 12 years. Now, of course, the reason why they disbanded was because of John Bonham's um, early death. And I, you know, I wonder what, what would have happened had they tried to replace Bonham rather than disbanding. I mean, I I think about that poor drummer who would have had to step into John Bonham's shoes and, you know, having those incessant comparisons and reminders that, you know, hey, you know, buddy, you're you're no John Bonham. Yeah, I don't I question whether they could have found somebody who could have who who could have met the requirements. Uh, He was he was fun. I mean, phenomenal. I mean, I had almost listening to these. I, I, I listened with headphones. I got deep into it. I almost think he has four hands. He's the symbols are literally crashing the whole time yeah. and he's still playing fills and that he's one of the first with that double kick drum. Uh, he, he's been, it's been said that he's the hardest person to ever hit drums that the, that the, the heads of his drums were replaced after every show. He's just, I don't know that anyone could have, could, could have met the, the musical requirements, let alone trying to follow a legend like that. No, I mean, just look at Kenny Jones, who replaced Keith Moon of the of the Who. I mean, Jones was already a well respected drummer. He, you know, played with the Small Faces, and then Faces, and I believe Jones had already played with the rest of the Who. Um, I, I'm pretty sure he's credited on the Tommy soundtrack. But, you know, he never could replace Keith Moon and his energy. And I, I recently listened to the uh, Roger Daltrey interview that uh, he did with Mark Marin, And Daltrey talked about how The Who was all about energy and this spectacle of being a stadium band. And Jones didn't have that same energy that, that, that Moon had at all. Um, still a good drummer. Um, and they probably, Led Zeppelin probably could have found you know, a decent drummer. I mean, come on, who wouldn't want to play with plant and John Paul Jones and Jimmy page. I mean, so I'm sure there would have been somebody who would have, you know, wanted to play, but you know, stepping into Bonham's shoes, forget about it. Any, anything else we want to talk about as far as personnel goes? Uh, no, it was just, uh, it was short lived comparatively speaking, but was it, I mean, and think think about some of the other bands. I mean, outside of like the Rolling Stones, for instance, and the Who has that's been around forever. I mean, eleven, twelve years, 
that's that's a pretty good shelf life. Yeah, I mean, but what did they make? The Presence was the last thing they did all together. Yeah. Um, that's that's a good record. I mean, I don't. Uh, I mean, granted, the Beatles left after what the White Album was the last album they recorded, not the last album they released. Right. But I don't know. They. I just feel like I wonder what else was in there. I mean, especially with some of the stuff that uh, Robert Plant's done, uh, the, his initial solo stuff. Um, I just felt like there was a lot, maybe a lot more in there. Yeah. Well, and the, and those were hit or miss too. I mean, you know, I'll, I, I will, I always snicker every time I, I, I hear a uh, big log. Cause I, <laughs> the Beavis uh, and butthead of me just come, uh, comes out and I just, you know, start thinking. Yeah. I just start thinking about turds, but. Which that's which that song is not. That it's is not. That's a really good song. <laughs> it's a good song. It is. It is. But um, you know, some of it was hit or miss uh, for for me. You know, I I enjoyed what was the uh, what was his third album, the one that had a long 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 cool one. Oh, I think now and Zen. Now and Zen. That so that was a, that was a good album. Um. I think it was a little over over polished at times. Um, didn't feel like a Robert Plant, um, you know, classic rock guy. Uh, it was definitely more of a MTV generation type rock album, but it was still it was still good. So um, the reason why I pick this particular album, this episode is being released on January twelfth which is actually the 50th anniversary of this particular album being released. Hey, 50 year old guys doing 50 year old records. That is absolutely the case. So old guys talking about old music. Yeah, it's great. Um, any idea what album was released the following day? Uh, I do, but it is, I'm, it's escaping me this second. So it's, please tell me it's the soundtrack to the Beatles yellow submarine. Oh, well, there you, have you go. Have you have you watched that? I have never been able to watch that. I'm not a fan of that song, let alone that that whole record. Yeah, I, I recently watched it on Amazon Prime, and it's so bad. And maybe it's because I'm, you know, I watched it sober. I watched it without LSD. dropping acid. Yeah. Uh, and and what's amazing to me is it has a 97% critics rating on Rotten Tomatoes and the public rating is 84%. I mean I I get that the Beatles have this fan following where they can do no wrong but 84% it's awful. I'm and I'm sorry if I've offended any Beatles fans. I love the Beatles. Um, and I actually like Yellow Submarine, the the song as well. I know you you said you don't, but yeah, it's just not good. All right, let's jump into the album. All right, so first track, this is Good Times, Bad Times. And this is a great way to start your debut album. Great way to start your recording career. 
I think this song really showcases each of the members, except maybe maybe Plant doesn't really get showcased here. But, you know, he will definitely get his time to shine in the next song. Um, John Paul Jones told Rolling Stone magazine at one point that the riff for Good Times, Bad Times is the hardest riff I ever wrote and the hardest to play. Um, and I, I gotta say, I don't, I don't know if I really listened that much to the bass riff on this. Did, is that something that, that captured your attention on, on this particular track? No. Um, like I say, this is the cornerstone of where it, one thing I would say is it listening to this and putting a critical spin on it. I know it wasn't critically uh, very popular at the time they earned their, I read hammer of the gods five or six years ago and they, they got their, their popularity came from playing live. And when you look, listen to this album, this this song has a raw power to it that uh, you would expect from a debut album. Um, but I, I, and I'm glad it didn't have any organ in it because I love John Paul Jones, but you know what? There's probably four or five songs on this where he try, where he plays the organ and it seems out of place in every instance. And uh, so I'm glad he didn't do that on this song, but this is... This is definitely a precursor. I mean, I think lyrically and musically, it's almost a little bit immature compared to stuff like rock and roll and cashmere and stairway to heaven. But it's definitely that cornerstone. And you can see and being able to look back, you we know what happened. And this but this this song definitely has a, a raw, a raw power to it that, that it that comes through. Yeah, this was actually their very first single. Um, it only charted at number 80 on the U.S. charts. Um, I did watch a documentary about the band, um, Peter Grant, the the manager for Led Zeppelin. He basically told Atlanta Records that they shouldn't release any singles, and and I'm still kind of befuddled by that, and I and I don't know why he would why he would tell the record label we're only going to do albums. I mean, was was album oriented rock stations really prevalent? In 1969, I, you know what? I don't know, but I, I I'm, t- I'm too young to remember. Uh, but well, me too. But but I just yeah, I think I I would put it as more as I think of singles as something that pop music does, and these guys were never. Uh, I mean, their singles weren't going to chart or get. You know, I mean, I know that they did in some instances. I know they didn't release singles at all in UK. Um, right. So I just I mean either it's there was more money and royalties from album sales and they didn't want to you know they didn't want people buying just the single and not the whole album or the fact that well, I know a lot of groups think of the whole album as a as a one unit and they don't want people listening to it in pieces but Peter Grant was a notorious thug I heard he carried around a paper bag full of cash to pay people off after he pushed them around or beat them up or did so, you know or they set something on fire or threw a TV out the window yeah, there were there were a couple moments of that documentary. I'm trying to remember what it was called, but there were a couple moments on that documentary where um, they essentially said, "Yeah, Peter Peter Grant was this large, overpowering guy," um, and yeah, he he definitely shoved people around. <laughs> well, wasn't it in Song Remains the Same? Where there that isn't that a documentary type? Yeah, concert. He chases off a couple of guys that are selling like uh, yes knockoff concert shirts, and him and his thugs chase him down this corridor. Who knows what happened to him after that? Right, right. Yeah, they don't. They conveniently don't show that part. 
I'm sure I wouldn't either. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, so going back to the whole single thing. So I wonder if the reason for that is that, you know, you don't want the record label shortening any of your longer songs into radio edits. I mean, this, this album definitely has a lot of those jam type of, of songs on it. Um, but this, this particular song, I think it lends itself well to a single. I mean, it's, it clocks in at two minutes, 43 seconds. So I think that it does lend itself to, to, to a single, but you know, you're not going to want to shorten dazed and confused, for instance, into a radio edit. I mean, I, I, I just, I disagree there. We'll get to that when it comes along, but I'll just say that I disagree. <laughs> okay i'm 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 curious on that conversation all right so um there were actually a few other songs that were legitimately released as singles throughout led zeppelin's career there aren't many of them um so let me just let me just read off a few of these and you can you can provide some 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 commentary so their only single off of led zeppelin 2 is whole lot of love that was their only u.s top 10 song it peaked at number four and that's a that that's a legitimate single song i think it's it's short enough for that right um yeah if it was wasn't stolen from a poor black man (laughs) well we'll get into that as well (laughs) because there's there's plenty of songs on this particular album that were uh that were old um, blues, blues songs from from some of the uh, the black musicians from the day. Um, all right, immigrant song that was their only single release off of three that peaked at number sixteen. And that song's less than two minutes, I believe. Yeah, yeah, and I think that that lends itself pretty well for for a single. All right, going to their classic four or Zozo, however you want to call uh, Led Zeppelin four, um, did have two singles one of which was not Stairway to Heaven. So Black Dog, that peaked at number 15. Rock and Roll, um, that only reached number 47. And that was one of only two albums that had more than one single. The following album, Houses of the Holy, had Over the Hills and Far Away, that reached 51. And this would have been a good candidate for one of our 45 episodes because the B-side of Over the Hills and Far Away is one of my favorite Zeppelin tunes, and that's Dancing Days. Can't argue with that. Um, all right, so also from Houses of the Holy, um, I, and I always don't pronounce this correctly, uh, Dyer Maker. Did I say it right? And I don't know because it's from, I believe, I heard it's from a Jamaican uh, word. That's uh, that's why I always so slaughter I don't, it. Yeah, I always say it the same way as you do, and I, I have a feeling that Jamaicans would say it. Well, the Jamaicans made fun of me when I was trying to uh, <laughs> trying to speak their language when I was just there a couple months ago. So whatever. Hey, Mon, how much for the Bob Marley? Yeah, that's that's it. Sure. That's that's it. You know they, they and they always go Irie, and uh, they made fun of me because of how I was saying that as well. So, um, all right. So, uh, Dyer Maker peaked at twenty. So Physical Graffiti, which is arguably my favorite Zeppelin album, that peaked at number 38 for Trampled Underfoot. And then for Presence, 
the only single that they released was uh, "Candy Store Rock," and I don't. I had to. I had to actually listen to "Candy Store Rock" again because I couldn't remember it at all. Um, that didn't chart. They didn't have much to choose from on that album for singles, though, because every song seemed to be like six minutes or longer. I mean, um, Achilles Last Stand, for instance, great song, but 10 minutes long. Any idea what the very last single um, before Zeppelin disbanded was? Um, Hey, hey, Um, uh, did they release anything off Coda? They did not. Um, oh, then, that, I, then I then I don't know. So, "Fool in the Rain" that was their last single. Ah. That was off of "In Through the Outdoor," um, and that reached uh, number twenty-one on the on the charts. So, so what is your score for "Good Times, Bad Times"? Going into this, I originally thought this was going to be hands down my favorite song, but another one uh, took took its place. So, this is my second favorite song. It gets an eight. Okay. So, I gave this. A six. I also thought that this was going to be my favorite. And then I re-listened to a couple songs and I'm like, oh yeah, I really, I really dug that song. So, um, so moving on to, uh, the next song and going back to our conversation about really long six minute long songs that, um, couldn't be edited for a single. Here's the second song off the album. Here's Babe, I'm Gonna Leave You. Baby, baby, I'm gonna leave you. I said, baby, you know I'm gonna leave you. What do you got to what do you got to share about babe i'm gonna leave you i have two issues with this song number one i went and checked out the joan baez version which inspired them to do this and it is horrible <laughs> uh it almost sounds like tiny tim it it's this caterwauling yodel i can't believe someone listened to it and said you know what i want to do that song that in and that's one problem second problem is what is is this where Jimmy Page started saying stuff was his that wasn't his? He knew this song was not his. He tried to claim it was a traditional, uh, like, folk song. I mean, somebody wrote this song in the '50s, Ann Braden. Yeah, I, I, I don't that that I have an issue with, um, and it it comes up more than once on this record alone, and obviously more than more than once in their whole time. But the 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 sad thing about that is this is a great song. They. This is definitely like the template for the for upcoming songs like Stairway to Heaven with that where they slow down and start going real kind of soft and melodic. And then all of a sudden it just amps up and flips it upside down and it's hard and fast. And then so I like the song, but I, I definitely have a couple of problems with this song. Yeah, I never went back and listened to the Joan Baez version because I. Joan Baez. Well, don't. Does it is terrible. Doesn't do anything for me. Um, I did read that this was one of the first numbers that Page and Plant worked on together. I think uh, 
originally plant kind of sang this in in kind of a heavier style and i think page basically told him bring it back kind of be true to the uh the traditional folky um part of it but um yeah you know yeah we'll 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 talk more about the <laughs> taking taking uh taking credit for uh for for songs that you and i'm and this is where i'm using my air quotes wrote um so this this actually did um say that it was arranged by page didn't didn't say that it was written by page but yeah definitely arranged by him um and i have i have very few critiques of led zeppelin because like i've already laid the gauntlet down led zeppelin is my favorite rock band of all time but my biggest critique is that sometimes they make long songs longer when it really doesn't warrant it and and i think that this particular song is a really good case in point i know that they're i know they're capable of writing 3 minute or less gems i mean there's plenty on this album see the previous song and then there's a few songs on side b but did you really need to make this song 6 minutes and 40 seconds well i think this song lent itself to that much more so than a couple others on here that i have specific more specific notes as to when they could have stopped or some of the the amount of time they could have cut out. This one definitely has that 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 is like made in that that template of uh, stairway to heaven, where I didn't get as distracted or as I did during some of the other songs, where I was I, I could have just as soon turned it off, or I almost wanted to splice the tape for them. You can cut a minute and a half, two minutes out of this in the middle, and nobody's even going to know. Right, right. This one I didn't have that feeling about. Okay. Fair enough. All right. So what, uh, what score are we giving this? I gave this one a six, even though I have some, some questions as to why they chose it. Um, and the amount of credit that they give to Ann Braden. Um, it's still, it's still a great song. It definitely, I mean, this is one of their most covered songs. Uh, it, it's a good song. It's a really okay. good song. All right. I'm giving this a five. It's middle of the road for me as well. Um, I like it. I, this is not a song that I typically fast forward until about the four minute and 40 mark. <laughs> and, and then I'm just like, all right, can we move on now? So moving on, the third song is You Shook Me. You shook me And this was originally a Willie Dixon blues song. Um, it fit in with the British blues boom um, that seemed to be going on during the uh, the, the middle to late sixties. Um, Jones, Plant, and Page um, all take uh, some solos on on this. Um, so, yeah, going going to your your point about oh yeah, there's a harmonica. Yeah, I totally forgot. Plant does the harmonica on "You Shook Me." Page put some backwards echo on the track, and that was kind of a innovative production device. 
and um, you can definitely hear that call and response between the vocal and the guitar towards the end of the song. Um, the song's actually been covered by Jeff Beck, and Beck subsequently said he was unhappy about Led Zeppelin copying his arrangement of this particular song. Um, so, so going back to the whole, uh, you know, we're we're going to uh, we're going to take a few things. Um, the ending of the song I think is great. Plant hitting all of those high notes, Bonham jamming at it, Page's guitar work. Um, yeah, it it's a good song. Again, kind of going back to my critique of the previous song, maybe just a little bit longer than than was necessary. Anything to, to, to say about you shook me? Uh, it proves that you that the organ is not an instrument that belongs <laughs> in a blues song. It that the organ solo is literally one of the most out of place things I ever heard in my life, and it's only highlighted that it's out of place because Robert Plant starts playing the harmonic harmonica immediately afterwards, which is an instrument that clearly lends itself to the blues. Other than that, I, I once again, this is a one of two Willie Dixon yep. songs on this record. One of my criticisms of this record, if and I hate to call it that, um, is that I, I, I feel like maybe they didn't have enough material to start with, to, to go in and record when you consider that there's only nine songs, one of them's an instrumental, two of them are credited covers, and two of them are songs that, that, they, that, they, that they, they wrote or didn't write or inspired by somebody else so and then just 10 months later they do they produced a record that i feel is even is quite a bit better than this one not that this one's not great but the one the one that comes 10 months from now is yeah and, and spoiler alert so this year considering that um wayne and i both turned 50 and um so we are going to do a number of 50th anniversary episodes and so led zeppelin 2 was also released in 1969 so we will definitely be talking about led zeppelin 2 later on in the year all right so what do we got for a score i gave this one a three i originally had it higher and the more i listened to it (laughs) and that organ and just the whole idea that you know this one doesn't i i definitely think this song lacks some of the passion that you get from a blues song typically, you know, Willie Dixon, Buddy Guy, you know, B.B. King. Um, it lacks some of that. And and as I listened to it more, it dropped all the way down to a three. All right. I've got it as, as a four. So I think we're, we're pretty consistent there. All right. Moving on to the last song on side A. So this is Dazed and Confused. Been dazed and confused. For so long it's not true Wanted a woman Never bargained for you Lots of people talking Few of them know Soul of a woman Was created below Alright, start us off with Days and Confused um, this song, ha- I think they, I feel like they should have just, first of all, it's not written by Jimmy Page. Uh, it's written by a guy, written and recorded by a guy named Jack Holmes, which he knew that because he 
did the song with the Yardbirds. So he, I, I, that just blows my mind that he would take a song he knew he didn't write and say, oh yeah, I wrote this song. Right. Um, that in and of itself, I think it should definitely have been saved for the li- for their live show because it has it they all those elements that they throw into it. I mean, I think on song remains the same. It takes up the whole first side. Um, so they they definitely like to improvise and throw medley songs in it and make it a big giant extravaganza. I think if to leave it on the record, um, there's a there's a good minute and a half, two minutes that could be cut out of this song uh, and would, would have, if you're going to leave to and leave it on the record, whereas if, if you're going to make it eight, was it eight and a half minutes or yeah, it's, something it, like that? It's six and a half minutes on this particular album. Yeah. Now, if it, 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 it feels longer. <laughs> <laughs> now, if you go to other albums um, where Days and Confuses, so I don't, I don't remember the, the song remains the same. I did look at a couple other, version so the the version that's on how the west was won that version is 25 minutes long and then the bbc complete sessions version that was recorded in 71 was 18 minutes long so i think if if they would have maybe stayed together as a band longer i'm wondering if you know a version that they would have cut in like 87 would have been like 45 minutes long um, so, so let's go, let's go back to the, uh, the, the, the copy, copyright infringement. So, um, Holmes actually sued for copyright infringement in 2010. Um, there was an out of court settlement that was made the following year. That's not to be confused with the much publicized lawsuit about stairway. And to your point, yeah, Paige was absolutely familiar with this song. Um, they, they did it with the Yardbirds. Um, and the guitar solo that's in this was actually derived from another Yardbird song that they did, which was called Think About It. So Led Zeppelin's recording of the track did use different lyrics. Um, and, and Jones and Bonham developed a different arrangement to accommodate that playing style. But still, yeah, you can't take credit for that. Um the one thing that that gives this a little bit higher rating for me um, was I love the the use of the violin bow on the guitar. I thought that that was kind of innovative. Um, that was uh, I don't know if that was the first time ever anyone had ever done that and put it on on a track, but um, I, I I dug it. Um, I kind of kind of liked how uh, that was that was innovative. So. Even though it is a six and a half minute long song, um, yeah, I kind of get, I kind of give it a little bit higher rating because of the innovation. So I'm giving this a seven. So what uh, what score are you giving this? I gave it a five, even though I seemingly trashed it. I think it's still one of their trademark songs. It's still a, it's still a great song, and I think Bonham is the highlight of this. I mean, this is the, one of the songs where I, it feels like he's got four arms. And he's he's constantly crashing those cymbals and still hitting hitting all those fills and it just this this one seems this high he's highlighted I feel. Are you giving this a? I gave it a. Five. Are you giving this a higher rating because of the movie Days and Confused? <laughs> no, and, I couldn't sit through that whole thing. <laughs> really? Because I would have thought that uh, Matthew McConaughey's character in that that would have been somebody that you would have 
you know, look to as a role model. All right, all right, all okay. right. All right, all right, all right. These girls keep getting uh, – I, I get older, and these girls keep staying the That's same it. age. <laughs> all right, let's 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 flip the record over. Um, so we are going to side B. This is uh, Your Time Is Gonna Come. Always the same, playing your game. Drive me insane, trouble's gonna come to you. critical on the organ on you shook me um i kind of think that it works a little bit here i i like it i think the 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 organ intro real i like the imagery of it i i felt like it was kind of like a funeral organ and especially since she's gonna get her her just do her time's gonna come i like the organ i i feel like it sets a good tone for the rest of the the song and the lyrics, you know, lie and cheat and hurt, and that's all you seem to do. Um, I I will make no no bones about this. This is my favorite song off of this album. I love it. Um, I do have some personal baggage with this particular song. It does remind me of um, an ex. We are we're we're right there we're simpatico this is this week uh, the more i listened to it i couldn't i went out of my way to listen to it again um i think the beginning part of the organ i don't like but then it it kind of shifts and there's a second part of the intro with the right. organ that kind of is more more part of what is in the song i think that's crucial to the song but if it was to have faded out after that um i would i wouldn't have mind but i think this song is so great that it, it felt it, it fell into the background and I didn't mind it as much, but I do. I wrote the same thing that you're, you're going to, you're going to get your bitch. And I, I will say this, but unlike Brandon flowers, I think he's going to let karma take care of this. And uh, I just, the more I listened to the song, the more I liked it. It, 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 it is my favorite song on this record. And it's, 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 it's become one of my favorite Led Zeppelin songs. Holy smoke. I did not, I did not see that coming. All right. Well, um, yeah, I'm giving this a nine. This is my this is rating. blues influence. This isn't like I say where yeah. what I, I thought they were trying what they were doing by covering <clears throat> Willie Dixon songs. I don't understand. Number one, I don't understand why they would steal other people's songs. If you can write songs like this, <laughs> you don't need other people. Um, but this is taking that blues influence and and using it uh, properly. This is just I can't say enough good things about it. You know, the the one thing that kind of strikes me about this particular song is the harmonies in it are re- actually really good. I I I, I kind of dig it, but yet they don't really use they don't really use the harmonies very often in in songs. I mean they they pretty much leave the vocals up to to plant. It works. The harmonies really work in this this particular section. I mean, i've I've heard, I've heard John Paul Jones. He can, you know, he can sing. He's not he's not great, but he can sing. 
I would love to see some some commentary talking about you know why some of their direction was of not really doing a whole lot of the the, the harmonies but cool moving on here is black mountainside your time is going to come has a, a crossfade into black mountainside um, that is in the acoustic instrumental based on a Burjance arrangement of the traditional folk song Blackwaterside. Um, and if you read the liner notes for this guess who wrote this song the soggy bottom boys uh no it was written by page <laughs> that's that's uh, that's that, that's what the album liner notes say. Um, and this song was was regularly performed live as a medley with the Yardbird solo guitar number White Summer. This is my lowest score. Uh, we're, we're, we're back to back. It's okay. a fill. It's this is to fill space. This is this. This is one of the points to by uh, to my argument of that they weren't ready to cut an album. Uh, this is unspectacular and unnecessary. And I feel like I, I almost feel like I heard it in Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? <laughs> uh, love it. Love the reference. All right, moving on. We don't want to spend any more time on, uh, on that. So let's move on to Communication Breakdown. interesting that there was there no songwriting credits at all on this album to robert plant so i did a little investigating supposedly he could not receive a songwriting credit owing to a previous record contract and so subsequently it was uh, credited simply to the other three band members it sounded as though communication breakdown was a group effort so yeah i think plant definitely had something to do with this uh, the vocals are pretty awesome on on this particular song. Some backstory on this. So Paige developed the riff during the band's tour to Scandinavia, which you talked about earlier. Uh, they were still performing as the new Yardbirds. This was one of the first songs that Paige and Plant actually worked on together. And so for the technique of how you get that sound, so Paige used a very small mic amplifier he called it the guitar in a shoebox sound, and he explained, um, and this was something from Guitar Player Magazine in 77, he said, um, I put it in a small room, a tiny vocal booth type thing, and mic'd it from a distance. Um, distance makes depth. I've used that a hell of a lot on recording techniques with the band generally, not just me. Um, you're always used to them close micing amps, just putting the microphone in, in front. 
Um, but I'd have a mic right out in the back as well and then balance the two. And you can definitely see that technique on a lot of lot of uh, subsequent albums. Um, I think that this technique is they used it a lot on physical graffiti. Any any other songs that you can think of that that kind of had that uh, that that sound to it? Uh, no, that not off the top of my head. I mean, this is one of the songs that when I started listening to the radio on myself, uh, as you know, locally there were two rock stations. There was KISW, KZOK, and KZOK. KZOK was the that was. That was that your the station that your your uncle listened to or your right. your much older brother, uh, KISW was more more our our age or our, our maybe a little bit older. But that there was a ton of Led Zeppelin in rotation on that, and uh, communication breakdown was you you heard, you heard that pretty regularly. I think this this is is the most complete song on the album. This is all four of them come together in an amazing way. I like to say Robert Plant vocally. This one I can hear the bass line on. It's much more yeah. pronounced. Um, same with the drums and the guitar. They're all, this is why, this is one of those magical moments that these four individuals created. I mean, this is a nonstop rocker from beginning to end. Yeah, it's a great song. So I'm assuming you are giving this high ranks then for your score? Uh, this, this got a seven. Okay. Only because I have, Two more songs that I really, really like, but this is a this is a strong seven. Yes this this was uh, this was my eight, um, so I think we're uh, simpatico again, uh, fairly close uh, close aligned, and I think that that sets us up for the next two songs, which I think we're probably going to be pretty close together on our scores for that fourth song off of side B. I I can't quit you, baby. This is another Willie Dixon cover. Yes, I got to put you down. Said you messed up my Made me mistreat my only child. All right, so this was recorded live in the studio. This was arranged in a slower, more laid-back style compared to some of the other material on the album. And if you ever wanted to know where Led Zeppelin's early influences are, you just need to look at the songwriting credits. Um, or don't, because Paige will probably take credit for it. Um, Willie Dixon, and then our last song, which is based off a Howling Wolf song um, called How Many More Years. That's actually going to be called How Many More Times. We'll talk about that here in a moment. But another Willie Dixon cover, um, definitely blues-based. I'm, I'm, you know, in looking at some of the, 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 the following albums, I'm glad that they didn't stay there. Like, I'm, I'm glad that they had their, their basis in, in, in blues, but they didn't, they didn't stay in the blues. Um, and the reason why I'm glad for that is this song is just mediocre to me. Like I, I would rather listen to the, the, the Willie Dixon version because I, I feel the, the pain in Dixon's voice. I did go listen to, to, 
the Dixon version of this. I don't feel that. I don't feel that pain in plants vocals for this. I think they, this, they did a better job on this than you shook me. I think this shows more of that blues passion. Uh, they left the organ out and they played it much straighter uh, up. Like there's not as not much Willie, there's not Willie Dixon passion in this, but they, they did a considerable better job I feel than they did on you shook me. Um, but I think it, it's one of those songs. I mean, leave it for your live show. Not let's not fill up space on the record with it. Yeah. All right. So what's your uh, what's your score on this? I gave this a four. Okay. I gave this a two. Um, again, maybe maybe I was a little tarnished by uh, listening to to Dixon's version. It's it's better. All right. Well, and to round out the album and to round out side B, this is how many more times. There are definitely plenty of psychedelia moments on this album. I think that this is the most obvious one. This was the group's closing live number in their early career. I already made mention this was uh, improvised around an old Howling Wolf number, How Many More Years, and um, a a Page guitar riff. Um, The track includes a bolero section that's similar to Beck's, Jeff Beck's, Beck's bolero which was written by and featured Paige um, and then segues into Rosie and the Hunter. And those were improvised during the recording. Paige does play the guitar with the violin bow in the middle section of this track, similar to Days and Confuse. It doesn't quite for me work as well as the Days and Confuse violin part, um, but he does do that as well. And then going back to our conversation about, long songs and are they necessary to be long songs this is eight and a half minutes long yeah i agree this song starts out great about the two minute mark it it starts to into a rambling improvisation that goes on for way longer than it needs to and then at about what six minutes it kind of gets itself back on track and then finishes strong this if this was a five, five and a half minute song, it could possibly be one of their classic songs. But because they just go off the rails in the middle of it, 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 it completely off the rails. It, it lost. It lost me. Yeah, I agree. I originally used to throw this one away. Um, you know, I would get to this song and I would listen for, you know, a couple minutes and then I'd be like, all right, I'm done. Time to move on. Um and because we were listening to these albums or to this album um, in its entirety, it kind of grew on me after re-listening to it. Um, but I'm I'm definitely with you. The middle section, it just rambles. Um, 
you know, they ramble on. <laughs> nah, should, nah, should, should I? Nah, not you shouldn't link those two songs together because that's ramble on. Now that's a song. That is a song, absolutely. I think I think if uh, you know th- through the uh, the history of our podcast, since I think we're committed to doing this long term, I think we'll probably end up doing just about every Led Zeppelin studio album. Yeah, we're we're definitely doing Zeb- Led Zeppelin two later on this year. I'm looking forward to that as well. All right, so I give this a three. Your score? I gave it a two. Okay. It, like I can say I actually got to where I was listening to this and trying to break. I had my pencil out trying to break down where he goes off the tracks and for how long he goes off the tracks. And I, I ended up listening to this one in sections. Okay. So final rankings. We are in agreement with your time is going to come. So that uh, that is our top score. Any idea what our second top score is? Uh, good times, bad times. That is the, our third, so that gets a final ranking of a seven. But we had one uh, that commu- had a communication s- breakdown. That is communication breakdown. That had a had a seven and a half average ranking. Um, any idea what number four and number five are? No. Dazed and confused. Fourth, babe. I'm gonna leave you. Is number five. And, and you know what? Those are those are the best songs on this this album. I mean, they they far and away. I just once again, I I I felt oh, I had anxiety about having like critical thoughts about Led Zeppelin. I actually had to talk to my friend who's a big Led Zeppelin fan, and I was, I mean, I kind of had a little crack in my voice. It's like I felt it felt sacrilegious, like rock and roll unpatriotic or something. And uh, but you know what? Uh, that's what the podcast has done. It's made me look at things with a critical eye. There we go. All right. Our next album. Actually, you can introduce the next album because that, that's that's your choice. So what are we revisiting for the next episode? The 1985 release by The Cure, The Head on the Door. All right. I'm looking forward to that. You know, for, for you listeners, please go onto iTunes and give us a ranking. Follow us on either uh, our Facebook page which is Records Revisited Podcast, or um, you can find us on Podomatic as well. That is our, our host for the podcast. Um, you can also follow us on Instagram if you do the hashtag Records Revisited Podcast, and you can see a few of my clips from uh, my Cracker and Camper Van Beethoven show. Any, uh, anything else we want to talk about? I think we've covered it until uh, till October when we do uh, Led Zeppelin That's 2. That's right. And their time will, will, will come. Again. Yes. All right. So, everyone, thanks for listening. Please go support the arts. Go to a live show. Buy a T-shirt of the band. Buy a record. Visit a record store. And not just on Record Store Day. We are Records Revisited. And we are out. <laughs>